All right, well, let's stand up, let's pray, let's get right into the Word of God here this morning. We have an exciting message, as always. Dear Father, as we bow before you today, we thank you for your rich, living Word. And as I come to teach, I make it known that I'm not trusting or depending on limited human abilities to teach, but I am trusting in you. And therefore, I know without doubt that you anoint my mind that I might grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from my heart within. Thank you now for supernatural recall of the Scripture. And I believe that your word will flow from my mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance from anything, carried by your anointing, your power, and your love to each person's mind, bringing understanding, removing confusion, and that your word will enter every heart and the sound of my voice, and bring faith and remove all fear. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father. And we give you the honor, praise, and glory for all that's revealed and accomplished through your word here today and by your spirit. And all those who love the Lord Jesus said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I am continuing with our series, Standing Against Fear. This is part three, Standing Against Fear. And... Um, <clears throat> You know, um, the Bible tells us that there are several scriptures, and I'm going to share just a few with you. The Bible tells us that in these last days, there are going to come a lot of challenges and difficulties. And uh, we should be aware of that because when they come, most people are going to get so spooked that they're going to be caught like a deer with the headlight in the headlights and get paralyzed with fear. And others will turn away from the Lord. But those of us that are full with the Word of God will not be concerned, no matter what comes our way. Especially if we have been pre-warned so we know these things are coming. They won't take us by surprise. You know, if somebody tells you there's a robber on the road, don't, don't, don't go down that road, then you don't go down that road because you know, or else you could prepare yourself so you can go past him, right? But not to know is far worse because you get robbed. <laughs> so it's important to know what's ahead of us, right? And also to know this, that God provides for us. No matter what comes our way, we can be assured we are going to be taken care of. Amen? We don't have to fear anything. God's our provider, our protector, and He's going to keep us safely through all these challenges. Just like He did for Lot, took him out of Sodom and Gomorrah before the fire came down. Just like He did for Noah. Just like God did with the children of Israel in Goshen when He poured out the plagues in Egypt. God's not going to let these things happen to us. But he's going to warn us that they're coming and tell us, don't be, don't be afraid, and then tell us how to deal with it, all right? So we can help others. So let's have a look at a few scriptures before we get into the meat of our message here. Please turn with me in your own Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's important to have your own Bible so you can write in it. Uh, by doing that, you're going to remember what you learn. 
and it'll mean much more to you. You will grow faster as a result, okay? You become stronger in the Lord. That's first prize, have your own Bible. Second prize is to watch it on your cell phone, your Bible on your phone. Third prize is to look up at the screens, and there's no fourth prize. All right. Have you found 2 Timothy chapter 3? Verse 1. Paul writing to Timothy, a young pastor, a son of Paul in the faith. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Now that word perilous is, means in English, another Hebrew, a Greek word for that is, or another explanation in the Greek is exposure to danger. Exposure to danger. It says perilous times will come. It doesn't say might come. It says will come. So we ought to be aware of that. So when they do come, we don't think God has abandoned us. He hasn't, right? He's warning us they're coming, but He'll tell us how to stand strong and be protected. For men, here's the reasons. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters. In other words, money is number one in their life. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, blaspheming God disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. We see a lot of ungodly people today, like it was in the days of Noah, like it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. So it is today in our world, right? When you watch TV, you compare what we saw in the 50s and the 60s on TV, and you compare that today, it's like the world's gone crazy. Um, all the ungodliness you see on TV is just unbelievable. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, that means violent, despisers of good. These people despise the good people. They hate the good people. Traitors, that means you can't shake hands and find folks who will keep their word today. Even if they sign contracts, it doesn't matter. Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Having a form of godliness means ritual religion. It means they go through ritual practice but they don't know the Lord. They don't have a relationship with God like we do, right? They're not born again. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 4, please go there. 1 Timothy 4. So here Paul writing to Timothy says, Now the Holy Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, when? The latter times. Some will depart from the faith. He says some will stop believing in Jesus, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, a rancher will brand a cow with his brand and sear that cow. And where that skin gets healed up, it'll feel nothing. It's dead. So, some folks have a dead conscience. See, the conscience is when the Holy Spirit communicates with our hearts. 
And we understand right from wrong because the Holy Spirit is communicating with us. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit's, you know, communication fellowship, we wouldn't know right from wrong. We'd be like animals living by instinct. And that's what happens to these people when their conscience dies. They live by instinct. They don't know right from wrong. They can lie to you. Whatever's right at the moment is right, as far as they're concerned. They don't understand right from wrong. They've got a dead conscience. God has departed from them altogether. Go down to Matthew 24, verse 9. That's the kind of people we see in these days, right? Dead conscience. Matthew 24, verse 9. Jesus said, Then you will be arrested persecuted and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because of your allegiance to me. So Jesus said the believer will be persecuted, hated, arrested, and even murdered because of their faith in Christ. Now, we haven't seen that much of that here in America, but in many countries of the world, people are being martyred right now murdered for their faith in Christ. In fact, more people are being killed right now than ever in history before. So that is on the increase. And we see persecution in America on the increase against godly people. Verse 10, Jesus said that will happen in His last days. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. So there it is again. Jesus said Himself, many will stop believing in Me. Many. That's the second Scripture to say that. The antidote, the cure for that is to fill ourselves with the Word of God, family. Make sure we know what the Word says and stay in fellowship with the Lord and with the Word. Amen? Don't allow ourselves to drift away and become cold and hard because these pressures, pressures, are coming against the believer, all right? Jesus said, many will turn away and many false prophets will arise or appear and will lead many people astray. Sin will be rampant everywhere. Sin will be rampant everywhere. There, there it is again. Just like it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see that alive on TV everywhere nowadays. Unbelievable. Sin is rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. There it is again. Third time Jesus said, many will stop loving the Lord. But 13, but those who endure to the end will be saved. So the Lord said, we're going to have to go to the end of this. We're not going to be raptured before it. We're going to have to go through this time of persecution. The rapture happens after three and a half years of the tribulation period in the middle. And then God's wrath is poured out the last three and a half years. We won't be there for that. The rapture happens. Those who endure at the end shall be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. The good news will be preached. So that all nations will hear. And then finally the end will come. Then finally the gospel, the rapture will happen. So the good news about Christ were preached throughout the whole world, in spite of all this chaos. 
So why would the Lord leave the church, His bride here on earth during this time of danger and craziness? Why doesn't He rapture us out before? Because we are His bride. The reason is found in verse 14. We are to share the good news. The bride of Christ worldwide is to talk about the love of Christ and the good news is that He's forgiven this world of their sin, but they don't even know it. We have to let them know if they accept that, they can go to heaven and not be bound by Satan. So we have got to tell folks the good news. That's why we are here before, uh, during this time, right? So we are not to be that concerned about being swamped and taken over and destroyed by these problems. We are to be concerned about who we can tell about Jesus because we are in the ark. So I believe in Jesus, therefore I'm in Noah's ark for today. Luke 21 verse 28, Jesus said, verse 28, Luke 21, <clears throat> Jesus said, now when these things begin to happen, look up. Look up. He didn't say look down, get sad, get depressed. Look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Because a rapture is at the door. <clears throat> right? So Jesus said, when all these things happen, rejoice, look up. Be excited because I'm coming back for you. Thank you, Jesus. Say this, Jesus is coming back for me. I don't have anything to be concerned about. He told me, look up, be happy, all is well. God's got this. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Here in Hebrews chapter 11, <coughs> we find the great hall of fame, the great hall of faith. Um, most great sports teams have a hall of fame in their clubhouse where you'll see the great sports heroes of their club through the ages. Photos and names. Now Hebrews 11 is exactly that. It's a great hall of fame of people of faith throughout history. And uh, I just want to read a few of these verses here. Because what we're about to read is actually a type, a shadow, an example of what we can expect to happen in our lives in these days. Because that's a shadow, type, an example, right? That happened in Bible days and it's going to happen in our days. The end times is the most exciting time of all time because Jesus is coming and everything's going to be wrapped up here. So God specifically chose you for this hour because He knows you are able to bear it and survive and thrive, okay? He's got confidence in you, in His ability in you. So let's read Hebrews eleven thirty three. It says, who faith, put a circle around the word faith, who through faith subdued kingdoms, praise God. That's what we're going to do. Worked righteousness. In other words, preached the righteousness of God. Obtained the promises of God, stood on the word and claimed the promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Now, you know, 
like Daniel did in the lion's den, like David did, stopped the mouths of the lions, right? From taking his sheep. Quenched the violence of fire, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They walked into the burning fiery furnace and it didn't harm them. Quenched the fire, the violence of fire. Escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Became valiant in battle. Turned the flight the armies of the aliens. Woman received the dead raised to life again. Like the Shunammite woman. Her son died. She put him on the prophet's bed in her upper room that she made for the prophet. Got a little donkey and set off to find Elisha. And when Gehazi ran to meet her, he said, is it well with you and with your son? She said, it is well. Meantime, he's dead on the bed. It is well. When she got to Elisha, she said, it is well. And she said, come with me. I want you to pray for my son. She refused to say anything negative, right? And the Lord raised up her son from the dead. Woman received their dead, raised to life again. Isaiah 54, let's go now to Isaiah 54. These scriptures we just read here in in Hebrews wasn't only for Bible days, it's for today. In our family of God, we know we cannot build a house in the middle of a tornado, right? Imagine trying to build your house. Yet comes a tornado. Let's build our house quickly. Too late, right? You build it before the tornado comes and make sure it can withstand a tornado. That's why God's given us this hour to build our spiritual house, our faith house, so we can stand against the tornadoes that are coming. This is God's hour of grace for us. And He's warning us ahead of time. Get ready. Put my word in your heart. Isaiah 54 verse 14. We are going to just recap for a few minutes where we left off last week here because what we left off with was so, so important. All right? And I want to make sure we understand it completely. We're talking now about how to resist fear and deal with the problems of life, no matter what they are when they come. Isaiah 54, 15. God said, Indeed, uh, sorry, 14. God says, In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression. For you shall not fear, because you will not fear. In other words, because we're not afraid, we will not be oppressed. You could reverse that and say, Those who are afraid will be oppressed. Or you could say, Those who are living a life of oppression are afraid of something, okay? But we are not going to be afraid. Therefore, we are not going to ever suffer oppression. We are not going to be concerned about our financial status. We're not going to be concerned about our health. We're not going to be concerned about our families who lost or turned away from God. We're not going to be concerned about what's going on at the office. We're not going to be concerned about the fact that they're doubling the IRS People work for the IRS because they're going to investigate everybody's finances to make sure that they get their, their, um, 
increase their taxes on everybody. We're not concerned about that. Well, we're going to pay our taxes and do what's right. Correct? Thank you for those holy amens out there. So, um, I will make sure I stay on track. Now watch this, verse 15 now, please. Indeed, they, what? Fear. Shall surely assemble. Because these problems will come. They shall surely assemble. We just read that this morning in the New Testament. We just read it. We opened up with a bunch of scriptures about problems coming. They shall surely assemble, but not because of me. God said, I'm not sending these problems your way. Then he says, whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Whatever problem comes your way, it shall be neutralized for your sake. Not might be, may be. Now skip to verse 17. Now it says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. In other words, all these negative problems are weapons. That means the devil is sending them. And he's using them as weapons. You can see that in Mark chapter 4. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Say that. No weapon formed against me, no problem that comes against my life shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. You shall condemn, not God, you. Every tongue which rises against every negative word said about you, you shall condemn it. You shall speak out against it. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is the inheritance of God's children. This is the right, the authority of the children of God. This is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me. So that I'm righteous because God said I am. You see, Romans 3.22 tells us every believer that believes in Christ is righteous. That means innocent. You have no sin against you. God has cleansed it. So that because I believe in Jesus, I'm righteous. You remember the man that was let down to the roof right before Jesus on a stretcher because the place was full. So they opened up the roof and let the man down. Remember that story? Because he, he couldn't walk, right? Jesus said to him, take up your bed and go, right? Remember that? Okay. So the Bible said when Jesus saw their faith, when he saw their faith, how can you see faith? Well, because, hey, these guys had to believe that he's going to get healed. Why, otherwise, why take off the tiles on the roof and let the guy down in the stretcher? All of them had faith, his friends and he, because he could have said, hey, hang on a second. I'm not going to do that. If you drop me, I'm toast. I'm bad enough now. But so he, they all agreed, let's do this. I'm going to be healed. He had faith. So Jesus, the Bible said, when Jesus saw their faith, what did he say? Your sins are forgiven you. He didn't ask the man to repent. The man never said a word. He just said, your sins are forgiven you. Why? Because Romans 3.22 says, every believer in Christ is forgiven. You understand that? And he said, because your sins are forgiven, get up, take your bed and go home. Raise your right hand. You're in God's courtroom now. 
Say this, I declare, I'm righteous in God's eyes because I'm a believer in Christ. I am forgiven for my sins. I will not let the devil condemn me and lie to me. I will not let the devil tell me I'm no good. <laughs> Can you imagine the devil telling you you're no good? Like he's all that in a bag of chips. Imagine that. Who is he to tell anybody that we're no good? All right, so no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue rise against you in judgment, you shall condemn. You shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and the righteousness of me. So, in other words, the way to overcome fear is to speak against every thought of fear, every thought of fear, and every statement of fear that comes against you. So notice verse 17 says, you shall condemn it. You must, not God. Now, take your pen, please, if you haven't done this last weekend, and draw a circle around the word condemn here in verse 17. Draw a circle around it and draw a line from the circle to the margin of your Bible. And then when the margin, where that line hits the margin, right there in your margin, write these words. 1 Samuel 14, 47. 1 Samuel 14, 47. Okay. Now listen very carefully. Listen very carefully what I'm going to say right now. To further understand what the word condemn here means, you shall condemn it. To further understand what that word means, the instruction that God's giving us here. To further understand this instruction, let us find out what the Hebrew word means there and see how it's translated into English in other passages of the Bible. The same Hebrew word as condemn is translated in other passages differently. But let's look at it. The same word, 1 Samuel 14, 47. Now turn there. 1 Samuel 14, 47. All right. Now this is about King Saul when he was a young king, the first ever king for Israel. When he was young, he was on fire for God, obedient to God. He did what God told him to do. When he got older, he rebelled and didn't obey God anymore. So anointing lifted from him and God chose David to take his place. All right, it says, So young Saul, young King Saul, established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side. Against Moab, against the people of Ammon. These are the children of Lot, born out of incest from his two daughters, became hostile against Israel and against Edom and against the kings of Zobah and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. Wherever he turned, he harassed these hostile kingdoms. He conquered them. Wherever he turned, he conquered them. Now, therefore, Isaiah 54 verse 17, the scripture we just read previously, which says, and every tongue that rises against you, you shall condemn. It's that same Hebrew word used here. There it's used as condemn. Here it's used as arrest. Arrest. Same Hebrew word. Which means, all right, in this verse, we see God is giving us absolute authority over adverse circumstances. He tells us to harass our enemies. 
So what King Saul did to those enemy nations is what God wants us to do to adverse circumstances that come against us. Say that. What King Saul did to those enemy nations when he conquered them, when he harassed them, is what God wants me to do to adverse circumstances that comes against me. Say this, when I speak against them and declare in the name of Jesus, I resist you, you shall not hurt me. This battle is the Lord's. When I command those circumstances to be gone, then God destroys them like He destroyed the enemy nations that came against Israel. So your words will do for you against your enemies exactly what Saul's army did to the hostile nations. God worked through those army, through Israel's army and destroyed those enemy nations. And God will do the same thing for you with the angels of the Lord. Amen. This is the way we condemn our circumstances and harass them when we speak out against them. We allow God to neutralize our problem, to scatter the demons. Now put a circle around the word arrest in 1 Samuel 14, 47. Put a circle around the word, word arrest and draw a line to your margin. And then when it hits the margin, write the Isaiah 54, 17. Isaiah 54, 17. Because, it's, and right there, the same Hebrew word. Write that, the same Hebrew word. So that you know, when you read your Bible next time, you'll be reminded, hey, I'm supposed to speak out against this problem and God will harass it, destroy it, conquer it like He did the armies that came against Israel. Now, some more confirmation of how we are supposed to deal with these problems and fears that come against us. Some more confirmation. Go to Psalm 107 verse 2. Psalm 107 verse 2. Open your Bible there, please. Okay. A well-known verse of Scripture. We're going to look at it now in the light of what we've been reading and studying. God said, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. All right. So God, to, to underline the word say so, or put a circle around it, those two words. So God tells us He has delivered us from our enemies. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has delivered. He didn't say, I'm going to deliver you. He said, I have delivered you. Now I want you to say you are delivered. Say that God has delivered me. Now He wants me to say I am delivered. All right. So, he says, God tells us He has delivered us from our enemies, but we must say it. We must say it. You see, it's a fact that we are delivered, but it only, we only experience the deliverance when we say we're delivered. It's a fact we are delivered, 
but we only get the benefit of it when we say it. I am delivered. Let those who are redeemed say, I am redeemed. That's what he said. Got it? When we confess what God has done for us and what He will do for us, His power goes into action on our behalf and Satan and demons are scattered. Now the word redeemed is very good, very powerful word. It doesn't mean I just bought you. It means purchased back the original owner. Redeemed means purchased back to the original owner. You see, God created Adam and Eve and they were His. Then they sinned by eating the forbidden fruit. And Satan was able to take control of them. And so they became children of the devil. Children of the devil. They were, Satan was their God. Satan was their God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 of the New Testament says that Satan is the God of the unsaved world. He's the God of those who don't know Christ. Okay, now. It's in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. So, you have been purchased back. Christ bought you back. The Adam and Eve were gods. They became the devils. All of the creation, all, all, all the sons and daughters of Adam became the devil's children. Jesus died on the cross, purchased us back to Himself. When we accept Christ, we're now purchased back to the original owner. And God says, you are precious in His sight. Now, sickness was your Lord and Master. Poverty was your Lord and Master. Sin was your Lord and Master. Death, separation from God, was your Lord and Master. Satan and demons controlled your lives. They owned you. But Jesus brought you back to the original owner. You know, a type of this is when God spoke to Joshua after he took over from Moses. And in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 2 and 3, God tells Joshua, and I says, oh, you're going back now after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Now you're going back to take the inheritance I've given you. And God said, now I've given you all the land of Canaan from the Euphrates River so far up north, right? Way, way, way up there north all the way down to Egypt, all the way from the Mediterranean Sea and way east, way east, all your land. Israel doesn't occupy 10% now of what God has given to Israel. And let me say this now. If you'll read that, it says, God said to Abraham, I've given this to you and your seed as an inheritance forever. Seed, singular, talking about Christ. So Israel, that land belongs to Christ. And I feel sorry for any politician who tries to take away Israel land and give it to the Palestinians for peace. It doesn't work that way. They're never going to agree. You hear me? That land belongs to Christ. Pity any man who wants to take it away from him. They're a bit more than they can chew. Now, so, but God says to Joshua, I want you to go back now to Canaan and take possession of that land. Then God says, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, no, I have given it to you. I'm not going to give it to you. I have already given it to you. You got it? Have already given it to you. But you're going to have to go in and take possession of it. 
Joshua, go take possession of what I have already given to you. So Joshua, I want you to go in there and slay those evil sinning Canaanites. They had committed sins I, won't even, I can't even mention here because children around. What the evil sins they had committed and their time of judgment had arrived. And God wants to execute judgment on them, get them out there and put the children of Israel in its place because that land was given to Abraham a long time before that. A long time before. You got me? So, but here's the thing. They had to go in there and fight giants. The Amalekites. And guess what? When the giants heard, hey, Joshua's crossing the Jordan River with the Israelites. We better get out of here, guys. Let's all run. They didn't run. They stayed and fought. So here's the thing. God wants us to take possession of our inheritance like that. God has given us victory over all the problems of the future, but He wants us to take our inheritance. Claim what's yours. The promises of God will work for you. Just like God said to Israel, every place the foot of your, your foot shall tread on, I've given to you. God says to us, every word of your mouth that you speak, remember, it's already yours. Claim it. Go and take your inheritance. You got it? Amen. God says, fear not because I have bought you, I own you. Say that, God bought me and God owns me. I'm God's property. So where does fear come from? Well, we learned, we just read it, Isaiah 54, 15. These things will come against you, but not from me. God said, I didn't send the fear. That's the Old Testament. Now, what about the new? 2 Timothy 1, 7. God said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. So that God has not given me a demon spirit of fear. But of power. What's that? The Holy Spirit. God's given me a spirit of power and a spirit of love. What's that? The Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm getting real hot here. I don't know about you. I guess I'm on fire, right? <laughs> okay. Appreciate myself happy. Yeah. Okay. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Say this, I have the mind of Christ. Praise God. Say, I have the Holy Ghost. Fear takes the law of faith and uses it against you. Say that, fear takes the law of faith and uses it against me. Now I say this, faith works for me. Fear works against me. All right, what is faith? Go to Mark eleven twenty three to find out what faith is. Now here Jesus is speaking, and um, very interesting. Jesus could have said, I want to say to you, but he didn't. He said, for assuredly I say to you. Now why would God have to say, for assuredly I say to you? Why would God have to do that? I say to you is enough, but he said, for assuredly. That means it's this way, and no other way. It's this way and no other way. Right? I say to you, whoever says, put a word around, a circle around says. Put a circle around says. 
and put a, real, a circle around whoever. Whoever. So God said, whoever says, right? Whoever. That means godly, ungodly. Christian, heathen. God-hater, God-lover. Whoever says. Say this. This will work for godly people and it'll work for heathens. All right? He said, I said to you, whoever says to this mountain, now he's standing on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, be removed and cast in the sea. He said, just say the mountain, be removed and cast in the sea. That's all you have to say. Nothing else. Now watch this. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says, put your circle around believes. And put your circle around says again. He will have, if he believes what he says will come to pass, he'll have whatever he says. So Jesus said, Put a word, a circle around says. So how many times does says appear in that verse? Three times. How many times does believe come in the verse? Once. Believe once. So in other words, Jesus is trying to tell us he's not so concerned about our believing because we believe what we read. But he's concerned about us confessing what we believe. Three times more confessing is needed than believing. We need to confess what God says and speak to our mountains. He's emphasizing that. Amen. Say this, I need to speak to the good things I want and I need to speak to the bad things I don't want. Now, in case you think, well, I wonder if I could speak to that. Maybe it won't work on this particular problem or circumstance. Jesus said, if you'll say to a mountain. Now that seems ridiculous, right? Why didn't he say, now if anybody says to the lost man, be saved or be healed or something spiritual. But he said, talk to the mountain. Tell it to go and it will obey you. Was Jesus lying? Was he lying? No, he's not lying. Say this, I must speak to my mountains. Now here in Luke 17, verse 5, the apostles come to the Lord and say, increase our faith. And verse 6, so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, as a mustard seed. Now I've taken seven tours to Israel and uh, I remember some trees, I believe it was on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, these trees were higher than the roof. And the tour guide said, these are mustard seed trees, mustard trees. And uh, he pulled out a little bottle about the size of your finger. And inside there were little seeds. And each seed was small, as small as a pinhead or less than a pinhead in size. And he said, these little seeds make this tree. Isn't that amazing? I was amazed at that. Such a small seed, such a big tree. But Jesus said, if he has faith as small as a mustard seed, just a mustard seed amount of faith, you can say, you can what? Say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea, and it, the tree, will obey God. See what he said? What did he say? 
will obey you. The tree will obey you. The tree will obey you. So you can talk to trees. You can talk to mountains. You can talk to trees. You can talk to mountains. You can talk to anything. Jesus is telling us you can talk to anything, right? And whoever can talk to anything, whoever can. And did you see this? Both times, before the mountain moves, before the tree moves, you had to say it. Say that the tree didn't move and the mountain didn't move until somebody said it. Say this, my faith can't move anything until I say it. My faith cannot move the mountain, cannot move the problem, cannot create a good event until I say it. Believing is good, but it doesn't work until I say it. You got it? In both cases, Jesus emphasized, say it. It didn't work until they said it. Say this, the, the, the things I desire come when I confess them. Now I say this, the things I fear come when I confess them. You know, the devil is trying to control our tongue. He wants us to confess our fears. You know, I don't know if you've done this, but many times through the years, I've phoned a company to look for Fred Boggs, Mary Lou, or whoever. And I phoned and I said, can I speak to Joe Soap, please? Oh, the lady on the switchboard will say, oh, I'm afraid he's not here. I can't help myself. I just said, why are you afraid of that? You don't be afraid. He's coming back. He'll come back. Don't be afraid of that. Oh, I'm not really afraid. Well, why did you say that then? Why are you afraid he's not coming back? I'm afraid he's not here. I'm in fear. And somebody said, I'm afraid my children are going to fail the exams this year because of the COVID shutdown. I'm afraid my business is going to collapse. I'm going bankrupt because of the shutdown. I'm afraid of this man-made COVID-19 disease. I'm afraid my wife's going to divorce me now with all these problems going on. Say this, faith is the substance of things desired. Say this, fear is the substance of things not desired. So Satan has the world destroying itself by speaking their fears. And that's why the devil creates all these problems to cause folks to fear so they'll be controlled and dominated by the devil and speak their fears. The world thinks saying something positive is crazy and that, you know, you, you shouldn't speak too soon because the problem might come and then you look like a fool. Well, I was in a line. I, I told this story before, but I want to tell you again. I was in a line about 35, 40 years ago in a bank waiting to get money. There were no ATMs in those days. So this line took about 15 minutes, people drawing cash. And um, so these ladies in front of me were talking about this flu, the Hong Kong flu, the Asian flu, whatever kind of flu it was. There'd never been a flu from America. It's always from somewhere else. But anyway, 
<laughs> so <laughs> they're talking about this weird kind of flu. And, um, and they went on and on and on about 15 minutes about this flu, okay? Eventually, I just couldn't take it anymore. I just had to interrupt. I said, <clears throat> excuse me. So they both just turned around and looked at me, you see. I said, you know what? I will never have that flu. They just looked at me like, how can you say anything like that? You know, it's crazy. So the one lady says, I wouldn't speak too soon if I was you. The devil's going to hear you kind of thing, you know. So I said, <laughs> I said, do you know why I'll never have it? Why? <laughs> because I spoke too soon. <laughs> right over their heads. They don't understand what I was talking about because I spoke too soon. I'll never get it. Faith comes by, say this, faith comes by hearing God's Word. Say this, fear comes by listening to the devil and the world. Say this, God will not do anything for me without faith. Satan cannot do anything to hurt me without fear. Say this, the devil can't hurt me unless I let him. The devil can do nothing bad to me unless I let him. It's in the Bible, James 4, 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That means run as in terror. So that I must resist Satan and his bag of adverse circumstances, and he will flee. See, if I don't resist him, he's not going to flee, right? But he can't hurt me unless I let him. But I don't have to let him. I just resist him and he'll flee. I can stop him. I don't have to, him. Don't have to let him hurt me. Say it again. Satan can't hurt me unless I let him. And I won't let him. I resist him and he flees. Luke ten nineteen. Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Say this, if I, if I trample on the devil, stop him, nothing will hurt me. Say, nothing will hurt me because I resist the devil and he can't hurt me. You see, if you stop the devil, nothing can hurt you, right? If anything hurts you, it's the devil. Talk to the devil. Talk to demons. Mark 16, 17. Jesus says this about all brand new baby Christians, and these signs will follow them who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. So that even baby Christians have authority over the devil. Satan can't force you to do anything against your will. When Adam tempted, when um, the devil tempted Eve, she ate the forbidden fruit. He couldn't make her do it. He had to get her to do it. He had to tempt her. She did it on her own will. The devil couldn't force her to eat that fruit. And God has also delivered us from all Satan's temptations, so that I am delivered from all the devil's temptations. We'll find that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God said, No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not 
let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand under it. God will provide a way out of your temptation. Say this, that means there's nothing holding me that I can't get free from. Amen? Nothing. There's nothing holding you. You can't be free from it. Satan's method of getting people under his control. One, get them to believe a lie. And they say the lie over and over and over and over. Two, encourage them to confess the lie and then it will bind them. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So what is truth? Well, Jesus said about the Father God, in John 17, 17, He said, Thy word is truth. Hold up your Bible and say, this is truth. Now, let's see how truth works for us and the lie works against us. Say this, the truth says, truth says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. Again, I can do all things, everything, by the strength of Christ that works on my behalf. Okay? Now, God's way of getting us out of Satan's control. Number one, hear the Word of God. Number two, believe the Word of God. Number three, confess it. So, when the devil says to you, you can't do that. You don't have the intelligence. You don't have the money to do it. You don't have the education to do it. You can say, I can do all things through Christ who sets, who, who, who sets me free. Um, I, can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Say, so I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not about my education. It's not about my intelligence or my money or my resources. It's about the fact that Christ is on my side and God has got this. The battle is the Lord's. Praise God. Praise God. So you hear the lie, you believe the lie, you say the lie, and it brings you into bondage. On the other hand, you confess your faith, not your fears, and Satan, let's say this with me. Say this with me. Satan must control my tongue in order to control me. Say this. The devil must control my tongue in order to control me. Say this. If I control my words... I control the devil and circumstances. Say, my words determine my future victory over every problem the devil brings. He will not defeat me. I resist him and he has to flee. I declare my tongue will bring victory because I will speak the word. The word of God is in my life, in my heart, and nothing can stop the Word of God from working for me. Nothing, no devil, no demon, can stop the Word of God from working for me. Praise God. 
In Jesus' name, I am more than a conqueror. I'm above only, not beneath. I'm victorious. I'm a winner going in and going out. In the city, in the field. In the circumstances, I'm, over, I'm an overcomer. All my needs are met. I live in divine health. I have God's wisdom. I know what to do about every challenge that faces me. I know what to do about every problem that comes my way. Praise God. Hallelujah. God loves me. He says I'm innocent. I'm righteous. He loves me. I'm, I have favor with God. I have favor with man. Praise God. I'm victorious. Hallelujah. You have nothing to fear, no matter what comes your way. Thank you, Lord Jesus.